0: In the beginning, I was a little bit skeptical, but then studies start to come out to say that, A, zirconia feather edge margins behave as well as shoulder ones. So in terms of literature, in terms of safety, we are safe to go. Now, the main advantages, you are saving more teeth, you are making your life easier, your impressions are easier, the fitting is easier, and something which really attracts me periodontal stability is much much higher
1: welcome to the protrusive dental podcast the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry clinical tips continuing education and adding value to your life and career with your host Jazz Gulati Hello, Protruserati, I'm Jazz Galanti and welcome back to another episode of the Protrusive Dental Podcast. Now this was supposed to be if you listen carefully to the outro of the last episode, this was supposed to be the basics of occlusion as part of the bigger picture splintember series continuing on from the back to basics episodes from August, which I hope you really enjoyed. But the problem is this man, it takes a long time to script my solo episodes. Like if you if you think back to uh, September last year, so September 2020, we did the splintember series and man, I, I forgot how much effort it it takes to to put something together but I, I'm still determined and keen to put something together that's going to be you know while you're commuting while you're chopping onions gardening whatever you're doing to make it a really valuable episode all about my perceptions of occlusion and just the very basics from like centric relation to freedom in centric to when to conform and when to reorganize and what all these things actually mean. So I am working on that and I'm going to get that out for you very soon. So that's why it's been a bit of delay in case you're wondering. But today, take nothing away from this absolute gem of an episode. Think of it this way, like I've delayed basis of occlusion, but I'm giving you something that's really, really prized. I was actually going to save this one for another time in the future because we've got George Cardoso uh, from Portugal, who if you remember from episode 49, I think it was crystal clear treatment plan letters. So if you're looking about uh, presenting your treatment plans in a letter, which is going to be very compelling, concise, easy to understand for your patients, uh, then I will definitely listen to that episode uh, and check out MakeMeClear.com uh, and use the protrusive 25% discount code because he's been very kind to give that but today is all about vertical preparations. What are they revisiting something that we also tackled in episode 19. Go look at me referencing all these episodes. I have enough now to reference in the past. Check that out. Anyway, so Jason Smithson came on episode 19. We talked about verti preps uh, and emacs onlays uh, absolute cracker of, of an episode, uh, even though his audio wasn't that great. It was a uh, so so jam packed informative. Now we're taking that verti preps and we're going a little bit further with George Cardoso today. So we do revise like what is a vertical preparation of crown? How does it differ to a traditional crown preparation using a chamfer or a shoulder? What are the considerations for anterior and posterior vertical preparations, but also then delving deeper into how we can we move away from um, traditional impressions and analog and can we actually employ digital dentistry when it comes to vertical preparations something that's not um, spoken about very much actually so I'm hoping you'll find this extremely valuable so the reason I was going to delay this episode is because when me and George are talking we actually figured that actually a lot of people want to learn more about vertical preparations a lot of people a lot of dentists want to learn how to do this technique and they want to go on a hands-on course. Now, I've been on Jason Smithson's course, if you're in the UK and you're looking for a a really good course uh, on vertical preparation, uh, Jason's is the one to go. Um, I enjoyed it very much last year and it's it's very much had a big influence on me as well as people like Pasquale Venuti, who have also taught me a lot about vertical preparations uh, and the Tomorrow Tooth Facebook group. But, But now me and George are talking about an excursion to Portugal because Some of my best memories as a dentist have come from uh, taking educational courses abroad, be it, you know, Sweden, Europe, or or on a ski holiday, which also uh, doubled up as a, a CPD sort of dental sort of educational event. So these holidays are often the most memorable. So me and George were thinking maybe next year, if you guys are interested to learn about vertical preparation, hands on but also have a little holiday at the same time (coughs) tax deductible, (coughs) uh, then why don't you sign up on protrusive.co.uk forward slash vertical dash Portugal that's four slash vertical dash Portugal. Now if you put your email address in there, when and if this happens, I'll email saying, you know what, we're kind of thinking we're going to get 15 to 20 dentists, Protruserati, to go to Portugal together, no matter where you're from in Europe or the world even, to go to George's clinic, and he'll teach us hands on vertical preparations. Uh, so we can you know, delve further into this technique. So bear that website in mind, I'll put it on the YouTube or on the dental tubules or on the main page at protrusive.co.uk. So that's, like I said, another reason why I was delaying this episode. But now that I can't give you basics to occlusion, I'm giving you this one about going digital when it comes to a vertical preparation operations and revising all about from a different angle, a different perspective, from how much cement space you need to making sure that you don't get undercuts uh, in any form because they can be very detrimental. Me and George share some failures that we've had using vertical preparations and how we now realize actually we did something wrong. So uh, learn from our mistakes. The protrusive pearl I have for you is regarding impressions versus digital. And, And really the main message I want to give you is if you are digital or if you're going digital, remember that you need to be more aggressive in your tissue retraction compared to impressions. Let me explain why. Imagine you have a a sort of equigingival or slightly subgingival crown preparation, uh, and you're going to be taking impressions. That um, light bodied uh, silicon material, for example, is is thin enough that it can creep into the sulcus space and capture that area. Whereas with digital, if the light cannot get there, it will not record it. Therefore, in those cases where I think "Mm, I'm going to get away without using cord here, with uh, impressions, I'll be fine. But if I'm think if I'm unsure with digital, you better bet I'm gonna place a chord. Okay, now with um, with impressions, when I can get away with just um, one chord, then I know I'm going to be doing two chord technique to get that vertical and horizontal retraction of the tissue. So everything that I do with impression, I take it one step further when it comes to digital scans, because you need to be more aggressive with your tissue retraction. You need to show the scanner more. It can't creep and flow like our impression materials. So just remember that little tip. So let's get now to the main episode and I'll catch you in the outro. You've now been on the podcast before George. It's great to have you on again. Uh, If anyone hasn't checked out the episode, we talk about crystal clear treatment plans with Dr. George Cardoso with Make Me Clear. You need to check it out. That has actually impacted so many dentists because they came away having a clearer idea of how to communicate better with their patients, both in terms of verbal and, of course, written. So please do check out that episode. Uh, I will link it in the show notes. Uh, George, welcome back again. How are you?
0: I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be talking to you. And um, thanks so much.
1: I'm, I'm glad to be discussing today something like, obviously, we talked about. Communication before, and we talk about written treatment plans, which is so important and something we don't talk about enough. But you're such a talented dentist, um, George, that it'd be a real shame if we didn't do a clinical episode. And like, like, you're one of these dentists who are so just brilliant at everything. And I have to think, what kind of topic can I give so we can niche down into something? And I love how much of the the vertical protocols that you have adopted, uh, and I love how much you're pushing the boundaries with digital. So this episode, this episode is more about vertical preparation preparations specifically in terms of digital preps. So let's just um, dive right in for those people listening who still have no idea, even though I covered a little bit with Jason Smithson in one episode, it was a little bit rushed because we did half on Emacs onlays, which could easily be a five hour episode and half on preps, which could be many episodes as well. So in your view of the world, George, what is a vertical preparation? Because some dentists will be like, I have no idea what this
0: is. Okay, so the vertical preparation was something that actually changed, completely changed the way I approach the way I approach initially only posterior teeth. And now for me, every time that I go for a crown, that I'm doing something which is non-adhesive, every time that I go for resistance and retention, the vertical preparation is by far the best approach that I can go. So I completely changed my practice, completely changed my practice. Initially, I had to say I was a a little bit skeptical because I thought maybe it's too thin, it will break. Uh, Maybe the technician will not see the finishing line. There are so many things that we have inside our mind, especially when it goes for fixed prosto, which actually, when you really think about it and we, we look at your literature, about 30 to 40 years ago, we already knew that vertical preparations were actually very good. So just a little bit of historical perspective. So... When the PFM started, it was about vertical preparations. So the finishing line was was metal. So then we evolved a little bit and we wanted to do what it's called the ceramic shoulder. So we wanted to have more space for the dental technician to layer down the ceramic. So instead of doing like a feather edge margin, we started to cut horizontally a shoulder or a chamfer. So, that would give space for the dental technician to hide the metal on the cervical area and to provide that aesthetics. And we kept like that for 20 years. But then something interesting came up, which was CADCAM, right? And because of CADCAM, what happened is that we wanted to also to have a very thick amount of material in the shoulder area, right? So instead of being minimally invasive, what CAD brought, I don't know if you remember the Procerra crowns from Normal Biocare, which were the first all ceramic alternative to PFM. And what happened is that we became even more invasive. Why? Because CAD leaders wanted to have space, right? So when we started to have CAD CAM, vertical preparations seemed even far away because we never thought that CAD CAM machines would be able to mill such things margins. So more recently, and Jason Smith and some Tomorrow Truth group and Wright group, we really start to look a lot into vertical preparation. And I was curious. I, I started to follow them. And I in the beginning, I was a little bit skeptical, but then studies start to come out to say that, a zirconia feather edge margins behave as well as shoulder ones. So in terms of literature, in terms of safety, we are safe to go. Now, the main advantages, you are saving more teeth, you are making your life easier, your impressions are easier, the fitting is easier, and something which really attracts me periodontal stability is much, much higher. So Mm -hmm. you can't lose with vertical preparations.
1: I 100% agree with you. And the most common I wouldn't say objection, but the common question I get is anytime I post on social media about vertical preparation, which I, I completely have the same reservations and revelations as you, George, because initially... The first thing you think is, wait, biological width concerns, uh, the th- how thin the material is, uh, all these concerns that we have, uh, and it's just such a paradigm shift from uh, being trained at dental school to create this clear, you know, shoulder one millimeter plus that the technician can see, so to having no shoulder and being feather edge is it's such a massive shift that initially it felt like, uh, like I think Masseroni called uh, the verti prep the dirty prep. So it, uh, there was a lot of re- <laughs> resistance uh, amongst the circles for the right reasons, I think. But I think once you truly understand the biology of healing, what we're trying to achieve. And for me, the main reason now I have also switched to when I'm doing something non-adhesive, i.e. when I have a preparation that does not have enough enamel, then I do think the most minimally invasive uh, technique is a vertical preparation because the preservation of the pericervical dentine and like to make it even more tangible, like you gave a lovely historical perspective is, Let's think about like nowadays, imagine you have uh, someone with lots of recession because of um, periodontal disease and you have such a long crown height of a lower premolar, right? If you cut a shoulder into that tooth, like you're going to be at, at the root, you're going to be into the pulp, uh, into the root filling, whatever. It just doesn't make sense. So you want to do something knife edge. But the way that this has evolved with the, especially with the works of Ignacio Loy, which again, his paper I'll put on the, the show notes as well. Great landmark paper that showing that, okay, what can be achieved in the aesthetic zone? It w- was just brilliant. And not only is it going to be minimally invasive, but you can really get um, aesthetic results. Like I have some cases I know you have as well, where uh we prepare for vertical and then the gingival zenith will migrate, and you actually are growing a gingiva. And when you can do that, you—that's a cool moment. So why don't we? St- why don't I pitch it to you, George? About what about those dentists that say, "Hey, by going so subgingival with the prep, are you not encroaching the biological width?" Can you um, bust that myth for
0: us? Well, the thing is that initially, I think that was the biggest barrier for me to do vertical preparation. But then I realized exactly. Uh, what is a vertical preparation? Well, I don't want to make it very complicated, but there are basically two types of vertical preparations. That's the BOPT type, which is basically um, edgeless preparation, something that you go, you prepare right into the bone. So the BOPT from Ignacio Loy is, is like um, evolution of the first works from De Febo and Morten Amsterdamer. So basically it's a periodontal preparation, very aggressive. Okay. So, that serves the purpose of going very deep, cleaning all the bacteria, and also, let's say, resetting the periodontal tissues. Okay. So, that is a very invasive preparation, and that should be reserved. That should be reserved for cases that need to do so, like periodontal case or stuff like that. Okay. But then there's another type of preparation, which is almost uh, more known as the verti prep, which is basically a preparation that does not go as deep. And one of the main differences of this preparation is that you can actually do the impression on the same day, okay? So if you go very deep, you should not do the impression the same day, you should let everything heal. But if you go not as deep, you can actually make the impressions on the same day. And usually when I don't go as deep, I leave that to cases of posterior restorations, okay? So the BOPT, what I usually do is I do an adaptation and I, I, I do something like, so let's imagine the BOPT, one, single, one of the good things about the BOPT is that you can actually play around with the levels of the gingiva, okay? So you it's a more invasive preparation, which on the anterior cases, you may say, well, why are you being so invasive on anterior cases? You have to remember one thing. So the vertical preparations, which I divide into like BOPT and VertiPrep, two different scenarios. The vertical preparations are preparations that are an alternative, a type of crown. They are not an alternative to the veneer. They are not an alternative to the onlay. So you have decided to go retentive, you have decided not to go adhesive, then you choose a vertical preparation, okay? So in the interior region, when we are thinking about vertical preparations is because I already have almost no enamel, and darkened substrate. So if I want to use a vertical preparation, I would need to be very aggressive on the anterior one, especially on the mm-hmm. buccal part, because I want to have space to do like a ceramic shoulder, like a artificial new cemento-enamel junction. So I go very mm-hmm. deep there. For posterior cases, what I do is I do um, same day impression, and I usually stay only in the sulcus. Okay, so for the posterior, there's no problem of, of impinging the biological width. Now for anterior, you say, well, you are you are going very deep with the first preparation. Yes, but I never do the impression on the same day, and I always need to let the tissues heal. Only after they heal, then I do the regular impression. So I always stay inside the sulcus, even if I go very deep on the first impression, because I let it heal and I stay that inside the sulcus. And then on the posterior one, even if I do the same-day impressions, I always stay on the sulcus. So those are two different approaches.
1: Are you enjoying the protrusive dental podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true protruserati, and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos. So you can view them offline later. You can get all of that for less than 15 tax deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the protrusive app now on iOS or Android. For absolutely nothing, We work so hard on this protrusive team and I know you're just gonna love it. Now back to the main episode. <laughs> with the anterior one, perhaps when you're going much deeper, almost to the bone, and you're getting that gingitage, the removal of that uh, inflamed gingiva, and then as it heals, uh, it will form this new uh, sort of uh, junction epithelium. How are you temporizing that to, to get the sort of advantage of the biology, I- i.e. you are dictating where the gingival zenith will go by using your temporary in a clever way. So any guidelines as to how far to extend your temporary away from the base of the sulcus?
0: So basically, when you do a preparation, when you do a preparation, you, you are actually very deep and there's bleeding. So even if you want to go really deep, you'll never be able to reach very deep with your temporary. So I would advise you to say, like, okay, this would be uh, because we are talking about statics, I want to leave the margin where the adjacent tooth is or where I want it to be, okay? Then I let it heal. And then I readjust. I can go move up and I could and I could move down. But basically, it's aesthetically driven. The placement of the margin is aesthetically driven. Now, you may say, okay, but you are probably, if you want to go very deep, if you want, let's say, you want to increase the margin do like a crown lengthening, in my opinion, I will do the crown lengthening before that. So I would not... I would stay away from biological with invasion, always. I would always stay away from
1: that. And just for the young dentists, uh, you know, learning about this for the first time, how many millimeters um, classically are you trying to form from the alveolar crest, the bone, to your prosthetic margin of the restoration? So you're saying that if you have to go so deep that you actually want to do crown lengthening, then you will actually do the crown lengthening first before you do the, the BOPT approach. But how many millimeters are you aiming for?
0: Okay, so but what you want to have, you, your margin should be maximum two millimeters close to the bone. That's the maximum, okay? So you should not go with your margin like one millimeter close to the bone because that way you can have unpredictable results. You can have either inflammation, you can have either recession. So you want to stay deep in the sulcus. So let's imagine from the bone up to the gingival margin, you have connective tissue, bone, connective tissue one millimeter average, Junction epithelium one millimeter. So those two millimeters are the biological width. You don't want to mess with that. Okay. You want to stay away from that. So when you are doing the crown length you have to imagine that your final gingival margin will be three millimeters from the bone and you will be inside the sulcus one millimeter. So the final gingival margin three millimeters, your prosthetic margin two millimeters inside the sulcus. Those are the limits. You should not grow. You should not mess more around with that. Now, one thing is important. I talked about two options. BOPT for the interiors, when you have more control and you are more aggressive for an aesthetic concern, especially on the vocal. And the thing is, this is very important. What, what makes, we don't know exactly why they result so well in terms of, per, of periodontics, but the, the fit is better because the cementation gap will be better. Um, and also very important, you are, you are always thinking about the biological width in a vertical way, right? It's three millimeters. But there's the horizontal component of the biological width. This is very important. I cannot tell you the definition, but I can give you a couple of examples and it, it will make light in your head, which is, you know when you have, for example, um, a crossed lateral incisor, so it's crossed by, everything is okay in the occlusion, lateral incisor is crossed. How is that gingival margin compared to the other tooth?
1: It's going to be thicker, or buccal usually,
0: right? Why is that? Because, because there's a thick bone, because there's a thick bone, and this is really important, the bone is thicker horizontally, so the body needs more space vertically. Does this make sense to you? So this is one option. The other option is this. So look at orthodontic movement. You place a tooth more towards the palate. Gingiva grows. You place the tooth more towards the buckle. Gingiva recedes. So the thicker the bone, the more space the, the body needs to get. Because usually we're talking about third, three millimeters, two biological width and one sulcus. But if the bone is too thick, horizontally, vertically, you may need three or four millimeters. And going back to the lateral incisor example, if you go there with electric scalpel, you just get the gingiva, what will happen? It will grow again because the bone is very thick there. Okay, now let's imagine we can do this prosthetically. I go to the buccal area, to the, to the root, I reduce it. So when I reduce the root, I'm increasing the thickness of the bone, so the, bone, the body will naturally try to create more gingiva because they need more space. Basically, you are fooling the biological system and telling it, look, you have a very thick bone, And because of that, you need more vertical space. So the tendency will be, number one, sometimes to grow or at least, and this is very important, number one, to grow in vertical preparations or at least not to receive as much, which is a big issue that we have with horizontal preparations. And let's be honest, I usually say this, only on social media, there is no recessions on (laughs) crowns. Okay, we know there is.
1: Absolutely. I mean, so many times uh, in the past, I've done crowns or the horizontal margin uh, and everything the prep's looking good. When I come to fit it, there's already been some recession, uh, you know, one millimeter. It's not much, but it's a shame because you remember prepping equigingival or slightly subgingival, but there's some recession that's happened. But with vertical, like even if I'm doing PFM and I'm having a metal collar going subgingivally, when they come back in the future, the gingiva has migrated and grown and I can actually get the flat plastic, move it away, and I can see that metal collar tucked in beautifully, subgingivally, which is another reason why, again, I have also like you moved to to vertical. So I think in the interest of time, you've got to cover uh, the digital aspects uh, of all this. So let me just open this up now for the questions I want to ask you. Um, What is the difference in, and you might have to describe this, is in your traditional protocol when you started off with impressions, and uh, tell me about the, the cord you might place at the beginning, like some dentists, they put in PTFE first, then they prep and they keep that and they prep to the PTFE and they scan with the PTFE in. Uh, and, then, and is that also what you would do in when you were doing impressions or is that only now with digital? And how is your protocol different now that you're doing more and more, uh, like myself, digital vertical preparations or vertical impressions?
0: Okay, so the first thing that we have to understand is that impressions are much more predictable in vertical preparations than in horizontal. Why is this? Because um, if, let's look at traditional impra- impressions with silicone. Let's do and let's think about an horizontal impression. Where will the air bubble end? In the worst place, in the margin. It always ends there. The air bubble always. If you think about vertical impression, because there's pressure from the putty, where will the bubble go? Into the sulcus, where it's not relevant. So it will not even if you have a bubble in the sulcus in the deep part, it will not have a problem for another technician. While if you have a bubble on the horizontal technician on, on the on the horizontal preparation, it always stays on the margin and on the worst place possible. Okay, so traditional impressions are much more predictable in vertical preparations, and I would do them exactly the same way as I would do horizontal preparations. It depends on the technique. Sometimes you, you prefer to do double impression. Sometimes you prefer to do triple impression. But they are—they will always be more predictable. Always, I can guarantee that to you. Now, the silicon goes deep there. Now, with the vertical impressions, I think that they are more challenging than horizontal impressions with, with digital scanning. Why? Because there's this—they are deeper. And then the gingiva has the tendency, even sometimes when you use double cord, the gingiva has the tendency to do this, to go and hide and create the, create a shadow deep there. So number one, something that if you want to go, I usually say this, if you want to do fixed prosto, you need to have an electric scalpel or you need to have some, some top notch periodontal patients without any, any sort of inflammation which is almost impossible. So I would advise anyone to do prosthetic uh, fixed-cross do to go to have an electrosurgery scalpel because this is really critical. This will allow you to do sometimes when the patientizing is not better, sometimes there's, there's a, a little bit of inflammation. You can just go there and cut the thickness of the gingiva. I would not cut it horizontally. I would not cut it vertically. Let's say it. I would only cut inside the sulcus So, you have correct space for the scanner to be. Now, if you have a healed site, so the site is healed, the site is healed, so you did the preparation and you go for the second appointment for the scanner, which is something that I rarely do. If you do that, you can do double core technique because the tissues are healed, double core. And if there is any area there that's still making a shadow, just go with with, with the electric scalpel and cut it there. Okay? This is number one, the electric scalpel. Number two, the best way to control bleeding is, in my opinion, the retraction paste from 3M. 3M retraction paste, it's a miracle, an absolute miracle. First situation, it's healed. You do double cord and you'll be fine. If you want, you can use like electric scalpel, just remove the gingiva that is eventually covering. That's number one. So double cord and you remove the outer cord before the impression. One of the good things about digital impressions is that If there is some area that you see it's not good, you can go there, erase it and redo it, which is something absolutely amazing. I think I think that you agree with me about that, right? Yeah, that's perfect. Now, second situation, which is what I do. I usually try to do preps for for being more uh, more productive. I try to do the prep in the same day of the impression. And here we have some gingival challenges in terms of healing of gingival and stuff like that. And we are always dealing with bleeding eventually. So in those cases, my protocol is usually so I do the prep. Okay, I do the prep. I uh, do the electric scalpel just to to do some, uh, to, to stop the, the bleeding. And additionally, mm-hmm. I use a paste from 3M, the retraction paste, which, which is absolutely amazing. So uh, many people are familiar with expacil paste. I think this one works better. This one is much more economic in terms of the, the, the application. So it's something that you really should have. So two things important to have: electric scalpel and three M retraction paste. So I mm-hmm. cannot live without that.
1: So, so at this time of prep, there's no cord in already. There's no PTFE in the sulcus already for you in your in your way.
0: Yeah, preparation, electric scalpel retraction paste. And for this situation, what I usually prefer now is to do Teflon. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the, the thing about the Teflon, there's there's like a small learning curve. What The way that you apply the Teflon is not the same way that you apply the core. So on the Teflon, you have to do some pressure and keep it there for one or two seconds and remove it. Pressure, keep it there for one or two seconds and then remove it. And what happens is that the Teflon will actually spread away The gingiva and you will actually see it will spread away the junctional epithelium okay it will slightly spread away the junctional epithelium but then the good thing about the teflon is that if you use a colored scanner what i usually ask my dental technicians that you go all the way until you see the white that's when you stop your finishing line and you will not have Mm -hmm. any issues and you will not be impinging the biological width okay so this is usually my strategy The third case is extreme cases. One thing that I really love about vertical dimension. So we talked about VOPT BOPT technique, vertical preparation, now extreme cases. What do I do? Mm -hmm. I do a mix of both Mm -hmm. of the techniques. What are extreme cases? Cases that are being considered for implant. So remember one thing, between the gingival margin and the bone, you have three millimeters. Sometimes, you will always gain, find ferrule that you are not finding above the gingiva, you will be able to find ferrule below the gingiva, right?
1: Another massive advantage of vertical. Absolutely.
0: But the, now, here comes the criticism, okay, now if you go below the gingiva, now you are at risk of going into the biological wave. and it is true. So what I do is this extreme case preparation, BOPT preparation up until the bone, because I want to maximize the amount of titrancine. Of then what I do, I do electric scalpel. Okay, just to remove the, 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 the hemorrhage and then retraction paste. Then, then remember, we have no sulcus here. You cannot place anything because what you are seeing is the bone. So what do I do? Direct scanner. I know this is a little bit outrageous, but then comes the trick. I tell my dental technician exactly where to place the margin. Where do I place it? At least one millimeter away from the bone. But then you ask, well, but then you will be in the junction epithelium. So you are impinging the biological width for one millimeter. It is true. Yes, I am impinging, but I am waiting the pros and cons. I am saving a tooth with the risk of causing some gingival inflammation. But on the other hand, I am saving a tooth, which is for me the most important thing. Now you can ask me, why won't you do crown lengthening? I stopped doing crown lengthening on posterior teeth for two reasons. If you do it interproximally, you will lose the papilla and even with good contact points, there will be food impaction, infection. Buccally or lingually, you remove the bone, you are compromising a future implant and you may eventually be forcing vertical augmentation or sinus lift. So what, now, what does the literature and the research says in terms of the biological width? It says two things. First, we don't know exactly, it's not predictable what happens. In some cases, you invade biological width and what happens? There is a chronic inflammation that does never go away. Sometimes there's a small inflammation for one or two months until the bone resorts to make to create the new biological width. Okay? And some other situations, nothing happens as long as you stay like one millimeter away from the bone. So we don't know exactly what happens. And for example, the last classification of periodontal disease, they say, you should not go in the connective tissue, which is very close to the bone, but we don't know exactly if it's safe or not or not to go to the junctional epithelium. And what I do, I go into the junctional epithelium and I assume that risk. But to be honest, I never had any issue but I assume that risk of invading one millimeter of the biological width in the junction epithelium. but I will never go to invade the connective tissue very close to the bone. But remember, I am only doing this in extreme cases, in good periodontal um, patients, and also in cases where the implant is being considered. So I am taking risks in extreme cases. And in that case, I only use uh, preparation, expose the bone, electrosurgery, retraction paste and then I will I will not use anything but I always tell them, the technician stay away from the deep of the sulcus because what you are seeing is the bone, stay away one millimeter and because you have no sulcus, you cannot place anything there okay, I don't know if it, this, 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 this makes sense to
1: you. It made sense and I think it's a, it's a good uh, description of uh, the indications of that uh, extreme approach. Uh, so that all makes sense when you're trying to save a hopeless tooth, but also preserve some bone for the future implant and preserve the papilla. Uh, so that, that makes perfect sense. And, and, I, and I like that. Uh, and I think I've, I've learned something from that uh, for sure as well. Um, in terms of, I mean, you're, you're obviously scanning in those preparations and you're telling the technician to just stay one millimeter away from the bone, which, which is awesome. Uh, and as long as you use the uh, electrosurgery, you can actually um, create that. Create that vision, create that path of scanning, or the ability for the light to reach there. That's the most important thing the lights should be able to reach there unimpeded so it can record that area. So, so that's very good. Um just going rolling back a bit to those um, BOPT anterior cases that you might be doing where you're uh, being quite aggressive because you want to change the gingival level. Um, are you scanning for that as well? Or are you taking impressions for anteriorly? Because me, if I'm having any anterior cases, which mostly I do more posterior cases, I'm happy to scan. Um, but uh, for anterior, I, my bias is still uh, because I don't have as much faith in scanning. Uh, I will, and I really want to try and do the BOPT go quite subgingival. I'm still taking impressions. So what would you advise me in that regard?
0: Uh, for the anterior cases, I, I, I do either way. If it's like a small case, like one or two teeth, I usually go for scanning without any issues. If it's like a bigger case, six or four, four, I usually go for the traditional uh, scanning. But that is just a question of, you know, that the higher amount of teeth, the more errors are you eventually placing on the scan. That's just because of the technology. But if the technology evolves in the future, I would happily do the scanning without without any issues. I don't know if I, I can show you an image here because I think it will make...
1: And while you're finding this, if you don't mind, I'll ask you a question while you're finding this. So for those people, a reminder, these podcasts are not just audio only. I know many of you drive and listen to the podcast, but these are accessible on on YouTube, on Instagram, on Dental Tubules, uh, and a few more platforms coming soon as well. So uh, if anything, any of my guests, like George going to share something now, you can check it out in the video part as well. I love this. Fantastic. So it's definitely worth it. I can see the the graphics already, which is good. Uh, But this whole concept, George, of kissing the bone, I've seen some on social media with like uh, that term, okay, this preparation, now, uh, or the crown is kissing the bone, and because your because your crown, your metal ceramic or the zirconia, is so thin, and it's like it's been, it's almost like zero point three, but then it gets tapered down to you know infinity, and it's such a thin, smooth collar that some people say that actually the biological width is 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 less of an issue because everything is so smooth. What's your thought on that?
0: Well, um, to be perfectly honest, we don't know exactly all the reasons why they work so well. We have an idea, and I think that b- because it's very thin there, the adaptation is better. We, we know since the 80s, and this is, this is really interesting, we know since the 80s that the adaptation of vertical preparations with an adequate design of the cement, with an adequate design of the cement, we know that the fit is better than horizontal preparation. So if the fit is better, if there's less of a gap, of course that the periodontal dishes will like it more. That's number one. But number two, and I, 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 can have, I, I cannot stop emphasizing this. You notice, do you know here the aggressiveness of this preparation? So this is the horizontal one. You can see my error, mm-hmm. right? This is the horizontal one.
1: Okay, uh, the error I see is that between the bone and the uh, connective tissue, there is no attachment, right? right?
0: So on on the left side, on the left side, what you have is an horizontal preparation, right? It stays in the sulcus. Mm -hmm. On the right side, you also have an horizontal preparation. And because I have, this is a BOPT technique, because I let it heal, it's also in the sulcus. Because if you let the gingival heal, if you do like double cord, you will never go deeper than the sulcus, unless you are very aggressive, of course. But the big thing here, notice the amount of aggressiveness in terms of buckle preparation on the right side. You see that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. what happens is that the periodontal tissues they get thick and because they get thick they want to grow or at least they do not recede as simple as as in, in case of a thinner biotype. So basically what you are doing is you are actually boosting the biotype because you are increasing the thickness of the gingiva not by increasing the gingiva itself but by reducing the buccal root and when you reduce the buccal root. The gingiva wants to grow. Always remember the, the orthodontic movement. If it goes buccal, the gingiva goes away. If it goes palatal, the gingiva wants, wants to grow. So, what you are doing is you are prosthetically creating that same environment. So, the gingiva wants to stay there, she does not want to recede. And that is because of the aggressiveness of the preparation. And what you are seeing on the right side is that you are creating a prosthetic new uh, cemento enamel junction. You are creating a new cement to enamel junction. And you may say, well, will, won't there be any food impaction? No, this works. My experience, this works much, much better than any other sort of horizontal preparation. So I think that the periodontal thing is the issue really.
1: Amazing. And I think uh, for those who are listening, and maybe not watching this, the best uh, analogy I can give when I was studying orthodontics is uh, my old um, mentor, Mohamed Al He says that the the gum is like a skirt. Okay, so if you bring the tooth or in this case, the vertical crown forward, the skirt lifts, it's like bringing your leg forward, right? The skirt is going up. Okay, if you bring the vertical crown um, uh, down or or, or further into the tooth, the skirt, the leg is coming down, the skirt is coming down. So if you're you're struggling with that analogy, think of it like a skirt and how you're lifting up the leg, lifting down the leg and how the gingiva will migrate like the skirt, which is something that you reminded me of as you were showing that.
0: It's, it's the same thing as with implants, subcritical um, contour and critical cont- contour. It's exactly the same thing. It's the same thing. The analogy that you use is the perfect analogy for the vertical preparation. And, and so answering your questions, two reasons why they work so well periodontally. The fit is better. And if you use the, the BOPT technique, especially the BOPT technique, when you are a little bit more aggressive on the, on the static area, you will increase the thickness of the gingiva and the the gingiva wants to grow. Those are the two main reasons why we get so many good results. And there is no recession, almost, at least in my cases, I've been doing uh, vertical preparation for about three to four years. And honestly, I have never seen such good, uh, healthy periodontal tissue and stable in the long term.
1: I can definitely echo the same I've also been in for three years and i can I can echo the same uh, and it it's, it's something that's very really definitely revolutionized my, my practice. I know it has for you as well uh, and it's great to be able to have that option for our patients now one thing that, that you, I picked up on when you were speaking is about the correct spacer protocols. Um, can you just elaborate on uh, how much of the spacer you are advising your technician to use obviously we're talking about CAD cam here uh, what is the digital amount of spacer in microns that you are um, suggesting to your technician?
0: I will I will show you a slide which is very important for you to see. Amazing. Now,
1: whilst you're doing that, I'll just share some of my challenges. When I initially started with vertical preparation, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I had these crowns back. And they were so tight, I couldn't seat them fully. So I don't know if that happened to you earlier on as well. And then I learned uh, online from my mentors that actually it's because of the fact that the the walls are so straight and so deep that it, it, you need more spacer, you need more space for your cement. So I'd love to hear your current protocols.
0: When you do not give the right amount of space, you see this clinical case with a fracture here on the cervical area. So you see this cervical fracture here. That is because of incorrect. Space. So why was that? Because in the beginning I had no notion about this. Now, if you talk to to most dental technicians, they will tell you that the cement space, the traditional cement space is something like this. Okay. So this is very important. So the first millimeter from the margin is zero micros. Okay. So they want full adaptation. Okay. And then from the inside, as you see here, they place 40 micros. So what is the issue here? And we know it's interesting because I'm writing an article about this, and we know this since the 80s. There are studies in the 80s that show that when you cement this, there's the flowability of cement to the occlusal area, and you will never get a perfect fit here. That's number one. And worse, no fit, no complete fit, and without cement because the cement will go upward. So you will have an open margin. And they, they classically say you can have an open margin of about 100, uh, uh, 120 micros. So that's what classically it's accepted. Now, for vertical preparations, you have to do the opposite. And this is very important. So the occlusal area should be zero micros. So when you are placing the crown, it should, the stop should be on the occlusal area. And then you should open the margin 40 microns. Why 40 microns? Because this is the average thickness of the cement. So with the vertical preparation, you will not only have a better fit because the crown will go all the way, but also you will have cement in the margins. There will be almost no depth. And this is something that, When I was writing the article, I said, well, this is just something that someone said on social media. So I I went to search in this literature. We know this just since the 80s. We know this works this way since the 80s. And it's amazing why we keep doing the, the opposite. We keep doing zero at the margin of the cement design. And then we open it inside while we should be actually doing the opposite, which is. Zero on the occlusal and then opening all the way up until the margins, because if you do the classical approach on vertical preparations, you will have fractures like I showed you. And I hope this clarifies it. Does this make sense to you? Yeah
1: it makes perfect now. It makes perfect sense to me because I've been in this journey. I've, I've had the failures myself. Uh, and I realized that actually things are just too tight uh, at the base as it's seating. And then I started playing around my spacer protocols. I learned from people like Pascal Venuti. Uh, I know you're lecturing with him soon in Portugal. Uh, it's such a great conference. You can tell us about that very soon. Uh, so I wish I was there to be honest with you, because I'm, I'm a bit of a vertical geek now because of you guys. Uh, but yeah, so I learned this the hard way. But recently, more than you know, I, I, I had an issue where I was, as I was seating the crown, the cervical zirconia, uh, fractured uh, quite heartbreakingly. Uh, and I can't figure out exactly why. Maybe I need to speak my lab again. Did they follow the spater protocol correctly? But I, I actually think I had an undercut area um, there. And I think that was uh, my, uh, my own fault. Exactly. That's
0: also something very important. Let me share the screen again, because I, I was showing the images of common mistakes. Another common mistake is so we talked about the the, the cement space, which is critical. There's another issue, which is if you go with the same mindset for the vertical preparation as you would do for the horizontal, you will always create undercuts. And this is really important. Why? Because when you do an undercut, you see here, this is a scheme of when you do an undercut with an horizontal preparation, the technician has the space to cause an alleviation, they, they will call like a relief in this area. I don't know if this is the correct term to say.
1: Yeah, so block is blocking out they block out the undercuts if you if you make a, um, an undercut in a horizontal crown they will block out the undercuts yeah
0: but if you make an undercut on the vertical will they be able to cut it to block it they won't mm-hmm. they won't so in the first during the first two years I had a lot of undercuts the dental technician will call me look there's an undercut look there's an undercut look there's an undercut. why because you go with the same mindset with the, with the same visual hand approach So you have to make sure that when you do the final image, you see, because if I was really um, paying attention, you can see here, there was an undercut in the buckle area. It's clear.
1: This is such a good image, George, I just want to highlight that this image that you're showing. I mean, for anyone who's listening, you need to go back to this episode and watch this because what George is highlighting here is, is he's looking at the tooth, like, uh, you know how you ch- check for a path of insertion for a crown, like for a horizontal, he's, he's highlighting an area where he cannot see the sulcus. And that's where the undercut is. Am, am I right in describing that?
0: Absolutely, Jazz. that's exactly. And you, what, what are the consequences? I say, well, I just didn't say, well, just do it anyway, right? because the patient she's okay with that. Just do it anyway. So they did it. Look what happens. It did not go all the way because it was not possible to go away.
1: So uh, I mean, I tend to make my vertical um, preparations uh, a little bit more tapered for that reason. And I sometimes am maybe been a bit guilty of over tapering. But I think this is kind of a necessity. I just need a bit more handpiece control to make sure it's really easy. It's really easy to lean in and over taper it, right? Absolutely.
0: Look, I think that I, I, came, I, I am into this journey. I did a lot of retentions. Then I started to do excessive taper and now I am almost getting the right one. But my, my opinion, if you want to do vertical preparations, stay on the safe side and do a little bit of more excessive taper. Also, because the, the retention of the crown will be so good, I usually use a, a self-adhesive cement. And look, self-adhesive cement does not mean true adhesion. It's just like uh, we like actually sand or maxon, but you can also use some Fuji some uh, reinforced glass. normal, you can use whatever you want. But even if you do a little bit of excessive taper, that will not be a problem because the retention of the vertical crown is very, 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 very good. So I, I, usually I do a lot of retentions. Then I went to a phase of excessive taper, which I still do. I am. I I have, I have heavy hands. My brain is much more better than, much better than, than my hands, but I don't, I, I don't have any issues. So in doubt, do more taper that will be, do better for you, for the dental technician. And in my opinion, also for the patient. And remember one thing, when you are doing vertical impressions is not because you are doing an alternative to the, on, the only because I think there's a bit of confusion here. Some people say, well, I, I, will, I stop doing onlays. I only do vertical preps. Don't do that because you will be doing excessive tissue preparation. So what you have to do, you have to look at the case and say, look, this is a case for a crown. Okay, so instead of doing horizontal, I will be doing it vertically. So if you, if you do select the cases that you need to do, you will be on the safe side. And in my opinion, excessive taper is always better than the retention.
1: Amazing. That is uh, sensational. I think that's going to help a lot of people. So all those mistakes me and you have made, uh, George, if you listen to this episode and and learn from our mistakes, you will be doing uh, the correct taper, uh, the correct um, uh, spacer protocols, the correct way of scanning or taking impressions, make sure you can see the sulcus. There's so many gems that we've shared. So that is uh, amazing. You've answered all my questions. Just one more thing. Do you think or do you think there's an inadequate scanner out there? Or are they all Reasonably okay to scan uh, for vertical preparations.
0: So my advice, if you are considering a scanner, um, of course you have to you have to see if it fits for you financially. But I use the Medit I 500. Now there's a new one, the Medit I 700. And in my opinion, it's the best value for money. It's the best value for money. The High 500. Now the issue is if you are working in a place where they are doing Invisalign. You cannot use the Medit because they are not allowed using Visa lines. So I would probably go with the Itero or with a tree shape, something that accepts Visa line. If you want to ask me what's the top notch, money is not a problem. Then you go for Prime Scan from from Cirona. But money, value for money for myself, the I five hundred from Medit and the new the High seven hundred, they are amazing. The updates are amazing, and there's a very good support group on Facebook. and And the, the team, the development team, is very, very good. And we are you are getting a, pri- a scanner for like the fifty um, percent or sixty percent of the price of the, the most uh, well known scanners, which are the Tree Shape and the Itero. But, but so, what is the consequence of that? My orthodontist that does Invisalign in my practice cannot use the scanner, so she must do manual mm-hmm. impressions. So that's the issue.
1: Yeah, I've seen a big um, uh, you know hoo ha on social media about the the merits of the i five hundred and now the i seven hundred. I think a lot of associates are buying their own scanner because it is much more affordable, uh, and, and that's great to see. But you're right. I think the caveat is in Visline, but mo- a lot of clinics nowadays have multiple scanners. They have one iTero for the Invisalign and then they have uh, the the Medit for restorative and and that's okay. You know, It depends on what works in your practice uh, and the budget. Um, You've answered all my questions, uh, George. You've been absolutely amazing with value. Honestly, I could listen to you over and over again, but just due to time, we'll have to call it there. Please tell us about the projects, the teaching, anything that you have on vertical preps. And you've got the brain hands. Tell us about brain hands. Tell us, this is your moment to just, how can we learn more from you? Because honestly, I know the listeners, the Protruserati love your style.
0: Well, basically, I, I, I am a nerd. I'm a dental nerd. I love to do publications. I love to teach. I create the brain and the website, which is very good. If you want to have any, any doubt in terms of cementation protocols or addition protocols, there's a step by step. It's all free. I also share some videos with, with some tips. I do lots of courses here in Portugal and this vertical preparation course is because we, we join forces with, uh, with, uh, with Venuti, with Costa Lapa, with, with Raul, with Miguel, and they did a VertiPrep, the, the VertiPrep course in Lisbon two years ago. It was in English. Highly successful event. I was there. I learned a lot from them. And then I started writing an article, which I really hope it comes out this year or next one, which is basically, so uh, let me give you this in first hand. It's called CARES concept. It's called Clinical Decisions for Posterior restorations, part one, Mm -hmm. partial adhesion, part two, full resistive or retentive crowns. And the CARES concept is this, you have to think about coverage, C, A, adhesion, R, retention or resistance, E, aesthetics, and S, subgingival management. If you think about all these concepts, you will be able to do a treatment plan, a good diagnose, and a good, a good plan for uh, doing single unit posterior teeth. So I hope that the article comes out this year. So it will basically answer all the, all the questions, I hope, of how you should diagnose, plan, and execute single unit posterior teeth, either if you are talking about adhesive. Tabletops, onlays, overlays, or if you are talking about intensive resistance, which is the, the, um, the vertical preparation, in this case. And on the 10, um, I think it's the 11th and the, tw- and the 12th of uh, June this year, uh, because we could not be doing, we, we could not be able to do it because of the pandemic. But this year, because of travel limitations, this edition will be in Portuguese in June. So it's only for Portuguese because all the other foreigners they have travel limitations. But I am pretty sure that eventually this year or next year, we'll be doing the same edition in English. And I, I hope that you come over to Lisbon to, to visit us.
1: Um, I would love that, George. And what, what, what I'll do is um, if I uh, speak to the protruserati who I know they want to learn uh, vertical. And we also have been meaning because to, to, to do a little getaway right? So if I can organize a group of the producerati, right, to come and fly as a group, it'll be so much fun as a group, we all fly to you, we come and look at your practice, we you, you teach us vertical preparations, I think that'll be amazing.
0: I would make sure you have the best time of your life professionally and personally and have fun. I will take good care of you just...
1: Listen, as long as there's red wine and meat you you have me.
0: I, I, I don't know if you know but my father has a seafood restaurant And the restaurant is like 20 meters from the ocean. So I think that answers all your questions.
1: You had me at seafood. Uh, This is amazing, George. I think I'm gonna make that happen, right? So guys, if you have in your mind an interest to come as a Protruserati, maybe 15, 20 of us, something like that. uh, Is that 15, 20 too much? Is that okay? Okay, fifteen twenty of us uh, to fly to uh, near Porto together to uh, to have um, some time with uh, Dr. George Cardosa uh, and learn vertical preparations and have some seafood. Then do this: go to protrusive.co.uk forward slash vertical. And let's see how many people are interested. Now I imagine hundreds will sign up, but then only about twenty. once they ask their wife or husband, you know, will eventually be able to come uh, <laughs> and the dates and stuff. So um, let's put our feelers out. It'd be so great to have. Like I always wanted, like a a protrusive ski trip, but my wife doesn't ski. But this is you know somewhere in the sun, seafood. My wife is okay with that. So um you know, bring your family along. Let's let's make a little uh, excursion. I'm actually really excited. So amazing. We will do that, George. Thank you so much for giving your time today. And uh, I hope to see you with about 15-20 good friends and listeners of the podcast uh, in Portugal to learn about vertical.
0: So, yes, thank you so much. I have to, That is a promise. I will not uh, let you go by this or the next year without coming here to Portugal.
1: I love it. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm totally up for that. Well, there we have it, another cracker with George Cardoso. Don't you just love his willingness to share his failures and those extra tips and advice that he gives that I don't think any other educator has thought of. So uh, thanks, George, for delivering great value there. Uh, and if you want to come to Portugal with us, it's not a done thing. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, it's always been a thing in our mind that to, to get a group of like-minded dentists and go traveling the world and learn from amazing clinicians, right? So now that the world is opening up with COVID again, uh, if, if that's something they're that interested in, go to protrusive.co. K forward slash vertical dash Portugal. And maybe I'll keep you up to date. You know, maybe we'll see if something works out. I've got a feeling it will uh, for maybe spring 2022. Let's see. So sign up if you're interested. I won't spam you or anything. But if you do want to join my newsletter for like uh, up to date episodes, infographics, PDF, then join that as well. That's protrusive.co.uk forward slash newsletter. And I'll keep you updated. Anyway, I'll catch you in the next episode. Fingers crossed. Wish me luck that I can put together the very, very mammoth task of basics to occlusion. Okay, wish me luck, guys. Okay, I'll see you in the next one.